0: We are presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code DAN for a special offer when you sign up. That's code DAN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. What's been bad so far, Juju?
1: So we flew into um, JFK, and we should have flew into LaGuardia because we, it took us an hour and a half to get from JFK to downtown. And then when we got to the hotel, they said that check-in is until 3 o'clock. So we don't have any, we couldn't change our clothes. Tony has on shorts and a trench coat right now with his wife walking around the streets. (laughs) They was like, let's go get some breakfast. (laughs) And I started walking with them and I realized that they are way faster walkers than I am. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna just hang at the hotel until three o'clock.
3: Wait, so because of the pace of walking why don't you just pick up the pace a little bit No
1: I can't do that shit bro Nah, Dude, I
0: can't I, I, what man, what the third? I remember walk faster I remember Juju in Austin there was one time we were like walking somewhere and he just got he he caught the vibe that like this might turn into a long walk so he's like I'm just going to wait here and he like just sat yeah. down right where we were
1: and caught uh, Uber I caught Uber from there <laughs> I like yeah, that yeah, I, I'm not gonna be walking fast through the streets of New York City, <laughs> being a third wheel.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to overexert your lungs or your legs or any of that,
1: right? Mm-hmm. I got a nice real estate right here too. I got some people watching right oh, wow.
3: here. Oh, wow, that's good. People that's a great, that's a great table. That's a great table. Hell yeah! Are you a subway they guy? Do you, like, do you like taking the subway? Do you, do you take the MARTA in Atlanta? Nah, never. I don't even give I
1: don't even let them <laughs> folks get a chance to fart around me. No, <laughs> nah. Hmm. Salute I, I, to the subway.
3: Uh, yeah, but I, I, it doesn't really a- answer the question, though. So, why why don't you walk faster and why don't you take trains?
1: I'm not walking faster because I'm a player. Number one, the it? first, first, my number two. Uh, this those is are, not those New are York.
0: shoes that are designed to go no, quick. he's right. He no, no he these walk. are I,
1: shoes that are designed to not get dirty. Mm-hmm. I had to throw these on because we couldn't check in the hotel because until three o'clock, I wore flip flops and shit. Mm.
3: How many pairs of shoes make the suitcase?
1: Seven. Wow. You feel me? How many days are you there? Three um uh, three or four, yeah. Three. <laughs> I might I might stay longer. Hmm. Because what we have to do is we're doing interviews with we're pulling up on the Cooligans, we're putting up on Charles McDonald, we're pulling up on UFC and we gotta interview people. You have mm-hmm. to see me in the same shit over and over like, no, no, no. So you continuity, doing whole, baby.
4: Whole outfit changes.
1: Continuity, baby.
3: Hmm. No, I, I would I would just wear the same thing all day. I've, we know. I've I, 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 I when we went to Lake Tahoe, we were given this very small suitcase that's like literally a day trip suitcase. Yeah. It's now become my three days or less tri- suitcase, and it's wow. ba- basically room enough for three outfits and maybe a second pair of shoes. But <laughs> like I I will I will spend an entire day in one outfit just so that I don't have to pack any more. Hmm.
4: I'm an overpacker, but I never wear half the stuff I take. I'll take a lot of things, but I won't wear half of them.
1: I probably won't wear half of these
3: shoes. Yeah.
4: Just the top I mean, because c- you'd have to change your sh- if you're only there for three or four days. Hey, don't you have seven to check in a bag? Do a day.
1: Yeah, I-, I never check in a bag on an airplane, and so I got a super duper duper. Well, I got rims on my bag, <laughs> and it allows me to you know, me maneuver. And it Billy- fits as a carry-on? Yeah, no, 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 no. I had to check it in.
4: Oh,
3: okay. Billy, do you fully but unpack when you six. arrive, or are you an unpacker? It depends
4: how long I'm there for. Yeah, same. Yeah. If it's if it's, it's, like, if it's yeah. a weekend, not always. Like I could do I could especially if it's one outfit a day, I could definitely just live out of my my
3: It's my, just sort my, of suitcase. to me it's, the, it's to provide myself the clarity of which ones are used and which ones are yeah. not used. And so like sniff I, test.
0: Right. <laughs> I usually have a dirty clothes corner. Like I have somewhere in the hotel room, maybe behind one of the chairs. There's going to be somewhere where I'm throwing all the clothes that are just done. Like all right, I've worn this This is going into that corner, and then at the end of the trip, I go to that corner, pick up all the dirty clothes, throw it somewhere.
4: I think you were like me, Chris. Like, when we went on, like, company things, like ESPN or whatever, and it was, like, a room that had, like, two beds. One of the beds was just, like, this is the luggage bed. Like, this is the bed that all my clothes will be spread out on. This half of the bed is dirty clothes. This half is clean clothes. And then this other little corner Uh, is where I just throw all my shit when I get in the room. mm Mm-hmm.
3: I, th- that when I go traveling is like the rare time that I will do the thing of just throwing clothes in a corner. Because really? I, I am always a make sure it gets to the hamper, yeah. make sure things are folded. But when you're when you're do, when you're on a trip, it's sort of the excuse to like, all right, I'll 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 get this together an hour before I take off when I when I when I pack this thing again. Yeah. Because ultimately, you can put it in a suitcase, but. Mm. Packing is a puzzle.
0: Yes, it is. And and, and you have Mm. to, like,
3: make sure you have all of the available options available
0: in order to... uh, Tetris, kind of. Yeah, it is. Feels like Tetris.
4: Are you guys, when you're going to check out, are you morning of packers? Like, the morning that you're checking out, you're packing everything up? Or do you, like, the night before, so all you have to do is get up, like... Shower, brush your teeth, whatever,
0: night and then go. Night before. Really? Yeah. really? I mean, That's morning- shocking.
3: Yeah. I yeah, had news like pa- like packing as the I Uber know. is arriving. I,
0: yeah. I, I stress like the leaving of a trip. Like I stress going, like returning to the airport. So I'm always like, let me just get this done. So I'm not like, I don't want this to be something I have to do on my final day in this place. So, so like
4: when we went to Austin, myself and Roy left pretty early. Like we didn't even go to the bar that you guys went to. Like we went to the dinner. And then we went home. And you guys all went to like a honky-tonk or whatever it's called, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So you got home that night pretty late. Like, were you then like at 2, 3 in the morning
0: packing? I believe I, I – I actually may have pre-packed that day. Like, that, uh, that, like, I might have before we even went to work that second to last day. Like, just started and – and I don't even think I – because that was a couple days we were only there. So I don't even think I unpacked. That was one of those ones where most of it stayed in the suitcase. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What's
1: the – what's the Uh pro tip.
0: Okay. Um, Crip me,
1: bro, Tim, When you go to a new city, you're in a hotel. Go to the Walgreens or the CVS across the street. Buy a small thing of trash bags, five dollars. Mm-hmm. Put all your dirty clothes into a trash bag. Put that in the corner. Now you got trash bags and dirty clothes hampers. You are cooking hot wow. grease.
3: That's that's a great idea, Juju. I've, I've never I've never even that. given consideration to that idea. Really. really?
4: Really, I usually you- use I use like the laundry bag that's hanging in the closet. Sometimes there's like a plastic bag. Like, hey, if you have anything you want, put it in this bag. I'll go and I'll just take that off of the hanger, and that'll be like. If, especially if it's like a beach trip, that's where all the wet clothes go. All the wet clothes go in a bag.
3: Wow, I I've, I didn't even honestly know that those were in hotel closets. Like, it's, yeah, just some. Not, it's just not something I ever, like, pay attention to. You know what? When you go into a hotel, you know that there are things in there that I'm just never going to need, right? Like, some of the mini bottles of soap and various kinds of soap. I like collect I, those. Really?
4: That I never use them, but, like, I'll, I'll go through and I'm like, I know that they're not. They're gonna re- just replace this for the next people. So like, I might as well take them. And like rainy day, I'll have this if I need it. And and I, you know what? My wife must throw them away because I always take them, but I never see them after I've left with them. So I don't know where they end. My my, my wife must throw them away. While my I'm wife takes attention. the lotion because like you really? always get
0: the conditioner, you get the conditioner, the body wash, yeah. and the and the lotion. My you wife know, takes the lotion. I don't know why.
4: You know something so, that I learned because uh, it happened lotion, to me one time. If you forget, like, a toothbrush or toothpaste, like, just basic, like, essentials that you need, a lot of hotels, if you go to the front desk, you should be like, hey, like, do you guys, I'm sorry, I left my toothpaste, like, do you have toothpaste, or hey, do you have a toothbrush, and they'll give it to you, like, they won't Ah. charge you, they'll just give you, like, it'll be, like, a super standard one or whatever, but if you forget, like, really essential things, a lot of hotels at the front desk will just, like, they'll give it to you, yeah.
3: I uh I so So uh, no but you
4: but you have to you have to play it you have to play it dumb Juju like because some of them like because before I would just always have to go to like CVS or whatever and then I bought like a toothbrush but then like knowing how I am it's like do I buy one toothbrush for like three dollars or do I get twelve toothbrushes for seven dollars and it's like the deal's too good to pass up let me get twelve toothbrushes for seven (laughs) dollars. And then I have 12 toothbrushes I would never really want for anything, and then I lose those too. Is my wife throwing that away also?
3: I spend very frivolously whenever I've forgotten things because when I went to Minnesota for the MLS All-Star Game, I forgot a toothbrush, and so I went to the local... Uh, pharmacy, and I spent $26 on an electric toothbrush Whoa. that is now my travel electric toothbrush. Wow. When I could have just very easily have just spent $3 on a on, <laughs> yeah. a, on a Crest toothbrush. For whatever reason, I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to splash on this one. Also, this actually came up on this week's um, Monday's episode of Football with Grant Wall, and Grant Wall told an absolutely insane story. So I said, I always forget to travel with deodorant. And Grant says, I usually forget one item. Yeah. Like one like category of things or you know, you got to take your your underwear and your shirts and your toiletries and all that. And he said one time that he went to uh Ukraine, Poland for the 2008 euros, forgot to pack any pants. <laughs> just didn't have any pants and he said that he spent the entire month in Poland and Ukraine. Wearing the same pair of pants. He didn't go buy never <laughs> bought a new pair of pants, never laundered the original pair of pants, just wore that pair of pants for a month. That's wild. I know
1: what he did, back. Three fedoras. <laughs> <that's what> he <laughs> <ended up. laughs> keep a fedora.
0: <laughs> I, that's a good question, though. What are you what am I most likely to forget? I think it might be belt. Yeah, I'm belt, a, belt for
3: sure. I, I've definitely I, forgot, yeah. I always forget deodorant. Every yeah. time, for whatever reason, and I always have to run to a CVS, although now I know, based off the advice of Juju, that when I go to the CVS to get the deodorant, that I also should get a trash bag. Or Billy's advice, you could just ask the front desk. Right. <laughs> Travel I gave tips. Tip to,
4: I gave that tip to Jess when we were in Austin, because she's like, oh, I forgot. I think it was toothpaste or something. I'm like, you know, they may have if you go to the front desk. They, so, they don't all, right? right. But. Mm-hmm. You could ask. ask. The ask. If, yeah, they might have it. And you play dumb. You always have to play dumb and like frat's like, oh, my God, I forgot. Oh, oh, oh I'm going to die if I don't brush my teeth. Where is there the ears? And they're like, calm down, calm down. Like, it's okay. We have
3: toothpaste. Here you go. <laughs>
5: I'm
3: dying. Yeah. I have a business meeting. I have to talk to someone in an hour and my breath's going to smell like hell. I was going to ask Juju what he's doing in New York so he can plug it for him. But
4: Welcome uh, to Mystery Crate, by the way.
3: Well, hey, welcome to Mystery Crate. Juju, what are you doing in New York? <laughs> that's right oh, we, we have sounds
1: we can't we can't to, to be official we finally official at referees we're going to be interviewing the ufc fighters all the fighters before and potentially after the fights we did an interview with uh the man not the myth michael chandler last week i think it's going to air Soon tony's not here he usually handles this part of it but uh yeah man we excited we in new york we're gonna link up with a couple of cooler we're gonna link up with a couple of metal larkers you feel me hopefully we can pump the magic dragon you feel me oh he lives by the sea um it's an actual loch ness i think situation don't quote me.
3: So MMA Hangout covering the UFC pay-per-view this weekend. This week though, on Mystery Crate, we have another edition of Darth Amin's Rule of Two covering Andor, which I looked up so it. it has, I think, two or three episodes remaining. Andor what? It's a second week in a row you've made that oh. joke. Is there is actually there is there, there is a bad joke sound on the soundboard. Fire it off.
0: <laughs> Look at us.
3: <laughs> Here's Darth Amin and Anthony Mays.
2: Friends, a lot has changed over the years, personally and across our airwaves. But one thing that hasn't the great taste of Miller Lite. So, what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. You know, for me personally, I recently bought a few six packs of Miller Lite for my housewarming party, because that's one thing that's changed for me. I moved into a new house, and I brought some friends over, and we enjoyed the best light beer. Because Miller Lite keeps it simple, undebatable quality. Great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories, the original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling
6: 10th edition of Darth Amin's Rule of Two. I'm Darth Amin. That over there is my apprentice, Darth Corn Puzzle, aka Anthony Mays. Looking for the mystery crate. Guess what? We still got a couple more episodes. (laughs) Ha ha. Oh, I love being evil. I love being nefarious. I love this show. There I said it. I don't love this show because it's Star Wars. I genuinely love this show. It could have nothing to do with Star Wars, and I'd be so in. This thing is great. Top to bottom. And I realize now, Maze, is it unfair of me to have expectations on anything to be as good as this?
5: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Other than Andor season two, I don't necessarily know that they're going to learn from this because... Obi-Wan still did bigger numbers. Yes. I think we both have <laughs> optimism for the Leslie Headland show.
6: The Acolyte. The Acolyte. We saw the finally revealed cast for the Acolyte maze. And wouldn't you know, the last name on the list, Carrie Ann Moss. Oh, Carrie on. That's Kendrick Perkins' favorite actress in the world. Okay.
5: All right. That's... She had a really good late 90s. I'm not sure that uh, that's maintained. But yes, the Acolyte, I think it'll be good. Don't get me wrong. But if we're holding Andor up as could it be another Andor, I don't think that's fair to the Acolyte.
6: Yeah, it's not fair. I'm very optimistic about the Acolyte. We talked about this last run of Rule of 2 we did. The creator talked about, I'll do a Star Wars show, but it has to be something that is... Not based any time in the Skywalker saga because she did not want to be handcuffed by canon. Right. Which, by the way, the guy, I don't know if you saw this, the main writer behind Obi-Wan complained about canon. No, I didn't see this. Oh, my God. <laughs> I went berserk when I read this. See? This is who you trusted. Perhaps the most precious property of all the post-movie pieces of content that come out. I love the Mandalorian. I, obviously, I love Andor. But if before any of those shows came out, we listed them on a whiteboard and said, which one is the most precious crown jewel, it would be Obi-Wan. And they handed it to a guy who's sitting around bitching about canon. He said this to Gizmodo. Andrew Stanton is the name of the, of the director. Oh, he's won two Oscars. boo fucking who don't care. Directed Wally and Finding Nemo, don't care. Said the blessing and the curse of it, it's like one, you're geeking out that you get to type Vader says this and Kenobi says that. You pause and say, I can't believe a Mexican paid to type this. Me neither, buddy. I can't believe these words may be said, but then another part of you has to go through such a rigorous, like, does that fit the canon? And I feel like it's bittersweet. The reason that happens is because people care, but it doesn't also kind of allow sometimes things to venture beyond where maybe they should to tell a better story. So it can sometimes really handicap what I think are better narrative options. He went on to say they were sometimes frustrated during the writing process due to such continuity restrictions. He referenced Andor as being easier to write for with that show existing in a safe spot in continuity. No, no, it doesn't. It's just they took it seriously they gave a shit
5: yeah the problem is andrew stanton you didn't tell a better story and yes you broke canon so you failed on both fronts congratulations
6: and it goes back to the pod that we did at the end of the obi-wan run that i clipped and i posted on instagram and on twitter where i said is what you're doing does it serve the existing story Or is it just, wouldn't it be cool? And this guy's literally telling you it's all about, wouldn't it be cool? Oh my God, Vader says this, oh my God. Shut up. Do better, Kathleen Kennedy. Be more rigorous on who you pick to do these things.
5: All right, episode 10, one way out, I mean. One way out. My kids have been chanting
6: that shit for 24 hours at this point. Are you having a prison break at home as well? Oh, well, look, you know, it's only a matter of time. I've already started affectionately telling them to get on program every time he was <laughs> acting up. So perhaps short-sighted by me to, yeah. <laughs> to institute some of these protocols into the house.
5: Rules were meant to be broken
6: is what they're learning from Andor. Did you notice that the opening theme, I just found this out from Screen Crush. The opening theme changes every episode. It's the same theme, but they add more instruments and it gets more fleshed out and richer. As the season has gone on, I did not notice that.
5: On Narkena 5, all the prisoners are on program as they hover Gurney Olaf's dead body out.
6: Olaf, played by the guy from Batman, 1989 Batman, who asks Batman, What are you? And Batman responds, I'm
5: Batman. Cassian tells Kino they need to go tomorrow. Kino thinks Cassian is insane. Cassian says they don't have enough guards, they're afraid. They killed 100 men to keep them quiet. What would you call that? I call that power. Power doesn't panic. Every day we wait, they get stronger. I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving
6: them what they want. This is an important point, right? There's several reasons why Cassian is saying we got to do this tomorrow, right? Number one, Olaf is dead. When there's a dead prisoner, they replace him with a new prisoner. No telling when the next guy is going to die for them to do this again. Right. It Mm -hmm. might be months from now. And no one's getting out anymore either. They need the replacement of the new prisoner because of the elevator scheme of we're going to stop it halfway, steal their weapons or whatever. So we need that new guy coming in. And then also, because they fried everybody on level two, the Empire at this point is going to know, like, man, we can't keep this shit a secret forever. Word's going to get out within there, so we're going to need more security. So really, by the ne- next time someone new shows up to replace someone, by then they'll have beefed up security. So Cassian is really, really prescient in knowing that this is the time. And then the other thing is, when are talk about power not panicking, is the idea that we're building something for them that they need desperately, so desperately that they're not going to let any of us go, that they're going to keep us here in perpetuity. They need this shit way more than we need to serve our sentence. I also love
5: how this prison experience has provided the spark of rebellion for Cassian's character. Yes. Because the whole prison is a microcosm of the way the Empire treats the galaxy. Yes. It's just put in much more focus. So now we're seeing Cassian start to say things that fit the character that he becomes in Rogue
6: One. Yes. The idea here is that he's realized, right? If you think about prior to arriving in the prison, even his first day in prison, this was a scared guy who just wanted to keep his head down and mind his own business. And now, as we've evolved through this time in the jail, on Narkeena 5, he realizes we got to... Make the change we want to see out there.
5: Being willing to die while taking them down is exactly what the rebellion's all about.
6: Yes, I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want. Which, by the way, isn't that too far off from what Luthen was trying to impress upon him? Like, don't you want to give it up for something real? For a cause. They returned back to their cell bays. Cassian starts telling everybody what happened, basically, and that it's a farce. They're just re- returning people. You hear the all the prisoners yell out, "Something! Oh, ah, you're making that up. Where'd you hear that? How do you know it's true?" Da da da. And finally, Kino, who obviously is a leadership figure in this thing, bellows out, "No one is
5: getting out. The rumors are true. They're not letting us go ever."
6: My kid does a great Kino, man. One of the proud moments of fatherhood. When you hear your child just walk around the house talking about, my name is Kino Loy. (laughs) And the 49 men in this room answer to me. Only doing it way better than I just did it right there. Pretty scary.
5: We get a quick check-in with Dedra. They're supervising the stage ship. Krieger's men took the bait party says they should hang back and wait but Lonnie Jung says they should
6: do what they normally do aka creepy stash
5: oh creep stashed the least suspicious thing would be to take an interest he's right except we'll find out later
6: Ulterior ulterior motives
5: I really enjoy reflecting on his performance up to this point because we definitely picked up on the nervousness yeah but we thought it was incompetence exactly great job
6: by that actor robert Ms. we'll get there one of the great ass off scenes in this show comes later Kino, on their way out tells uh, everyone don't tell the night shift guys we're gonna be on the on the way into the housing cells or whatever they'll find out on their own we hear from the pa new skybridge protocol you're not allowed to talk. Be silent and you're on program the entire time.
5: Kino says there's only then and now. There's only one way out. Oh, uh, he said it. On Ferrex, we get some exposition that Marva is hiding her pills to the doctor. We've got Cinta watching. Just a quick check-in on Ferrix.
6: Cinta, n- lurking, notices a very, very poorly undercover Spy. He looks like Jade Hoy, you know, with the hat and the chain. And like, it's like, yo, you're a cop. You're a cop. It's
5: like the episode of Atlanta where Alfred goes to the mall and because he's wearing the logoless hat, he gets immediately recognized.
6: Yes. I was watching something that said cops always drink beer. Oh, I was BMF, the BMF documentary. They said they knew who the undercover cops were because if you're at the titty bar, everyone's drinking and those guys are all drinking beer because they're on the job. Which is a funny... (laughs) I was like, oh, you're on the... Oh, just the beer for me. I'm working. Beer, the workers drink. My man definitely looks super, super suspect over there. Now we're on Coruscant. And the big meeting between Davos Gul'dun and Mon Matma is about to happen. And surprise, surprise, he's a douche.
5: Yeah, that wasn't a surprise at all. (laughs) She hated him before we even met him, so... This was a tense
6: scene. She was on guard the entire time. The way they're seated, like, you could tell the tension in the air right now, right? I mean, everybody, not that kind of tension. That's her whole energy is, you are f-ing gross. I don't want you anywhere near me. And so everyone's sitting ridiculously far away from each other, as if to indicate, like, how far the sides are from one another. Davos gives us one of the great lines of, One of the indulgences of great wealth is freedom from other people's opinions. Mm. Basically, I make my money how I make my money, bitch, you can't tell me shit.
5: Sure. Yeah, that's what he said. That's the Chandrillin phrase.
6: He's talking about what's around the corner. I know your husband, da da da. I'm like, is he hitting on her? I didn't think so.
5: He's just a pompous douche. But the, I've met your husband several times. I'm sure <laughs> he's heard about her reputation of directness.
6: She's uncomfortable. He's digging in. Mm-hmm. She, at some point, just says, got the bullshit. What do you want? He says, I'll do it for free. She says, No, I don't want the discomfort of having to owe you any favors. I'd rather just pay you. And, like, no, I'm paying for it. And he says, A drop of discomfort might be the price of doing business. And I was like, Damn, he is gross. Basically, he wants her to arrange a marriage between her daughter her brat of a daughter, and undoubtedly his scumbag son. You can't be serious. And that's when I say, oh, is that what he meant earlier when he talked about people don't understand Chandrila Ways? Yeah. They do arrange marriages, I guess.
5: They have value, he says, and... Yes, she doesn't approve of the
6: tradition. Now, why doesn't she approve of the tradition, Maze? This is the fun part. Because she hates her own marriage. Because she hates her husband, who's a complete douche himself. And as much as her kid is a brat, she will not subject her own child to the same shit that she had to go through. Which, by the way, is a microcosm of her fight against the Empire. Mm -hmm. She will not subject her child and the children of millions to go through the same shit that they have to go through right now. At this current stage in the Empire. He walks out and says, Well, you know, give me time to think about it. He says, There's nothing to think about. I'm not thinking about this at all.
5: That's the first untrue thing you've said. And I thought that was a kind of baller line. It was, yeah. It was a good scene. But Mon keeps running into these problems where she's unwilling to compromise her beliefs in pursuit of her goals and ambitions. And it's kind of like Sagarera. I mean, she wants to do things... That she believes are the right way. Her way. And I ask you, do you think this will change? Will she be forced to become more ruthless?
6: Well, here's the thing. You said it's like Saw Guerrera, but it kind of feels like all the rebels that we see. Because the next scene takes us to Luton, who is informed that he's supposed to have a face-to-face. And I said, with who? Oh. Ooh la la. Our mystery inside guy. While he's talking to Clea, one of the artifacts in the background looks like the crown that Padme war in Phantom Menace.
5: Leia wonders if it's a trap. Oh, if it's a trap, we've already lost. Already lost. Mm, don't tell that to Admiral Akbar, I mean. It's a trap. To answer your question,
6: I think everyone's got to move off of whatever their position is to get to where they want to be. Well, we know Saw doesn't. Yeah. Well, we know what happens to him.
5: And you said Luthans like this. I don't necessarily agree. I kind of think... That Luthan adapts to whatever the situation
6: is. Sure, but some of those situations... Oh, yeah, I guess you'd say he's not stuck in. He'll do whatever it takes.
5: He's not stuck to anything. The only thing he's stuck to is the goal. Right. So there's nothing that'll get in the way of that.
6: We're back in the prison, and things are happening. Taga is starting to get nervous. Cassian tells him to nut up. Cassian walks across the floor. Guy slips a pipe to him. He puts the pipe up his sleeve. He goes into the bathroom. And now we figure out what he's been doing that whole time every time he goes to the toilet. He's not trying to like dig a hole like Andy Dufresne and Shawshank. No, he's trying to crack the pipe. Oh, crack pipe? Easy. The guards are being corrupt assholes. Everyone understands what's going on. They're bringing in the new prisoner. and The guards are assholes. And at this point, the water breaks Cassian rushes back into the room on program and he is dripping wet. And I'm like, this is suspicious as hell.
5: He's also under the walkway. So they don't even look down there. I mean, these guys are not top of their class, but the lift starts coming down.
6: He know, starts giving instructions to everybody Using the usual terminology of the prison, everybody on program, meaning don't do shit just yet, Mm -hmm. this is one of the most tense scenes when we're just standing there and everyone's looking at each other and I'm like, oh, shit, man. Is the water coming in going to fuck this shit up? What's about to happen here?
5: Cassian jams the lift. He and the other guy are starting to climb up. They're throwing stuff at the guards. The flooding is spread by the time they spark the floor. Kino gets everybody on the tables. But... The floor hits the water and ends up frying the power for the entire room. There's a moment where Kino's looking down, realizing he's not dead. And then he yells, attack. Cassian trips the one guard, takes his gun, shoots the other guard. So he's really doing the heavy lifting. They start climbing out. They kill the guy at the console. Climb! Climb is a theme of Tony Gilroy Star Wars. There's a lot of guns at this one checkpoint, I thought. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of guns at every checkpoint. That's a weird decision. You think that they might just give everybody one gun, but no, there's just a bunch of guns sitting there. You might need another gun. Then they're spreading out, going through the prison, taking out guards. Guy runs into another workroom. One way out. Come on. Fight.
6: I enjoy when he says, we're leaving. Join us. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go.
5: (laughs) The imps in the control room still haven't figured it out. I like this reveal when we cut from the creepy PA voice to a guy with a really unintimidating voice.
6: Film noir. The man behind the voice is Nathan Fielder. He's not Nathan Fielder, but he, for some reason I don't know, he just reminded me of Nathan Fielder. It's
5: definitely Wizard of Oz style. Yeah. They're gonna try to contain the issue with the firewall, but Kino and Cassian are already there. Kino yells, "Turn it off!" And the guy says,
6: "That could mean so many things." Oh, I laughed so <laughs> hard, man.
5: They want to cut the power. It's hydro. It could take months to get back up and running. They shut it down. The dam valves shut. Power flickers back up online. And then Cassian makes those two guys go on program, which I liked.
6: How you like me now? Yeah. Flipped it on them. It's clear, despite telling people to go on program and putting people on program and seeing people on program all the time, there's a little bit of like, wait, how does this shit work again? It reminded me of the time I, I did the intro for Cinephobe. Yep. And I said, if you have a submission, submit it.
5: Cassian is encouraging Keno to be the leader here and speak to the prisoners. It has to be you. You do this every day. Tell them what to do. I think it's interesting that Cassian doesn't speak himself. He knows that Kino is the mouthpiece. Keno just gives a lot of exposition. They're in control of the facility. And Cassian urges him to stop just stating facts. Is that the best you got? How long we hang on, how far we get, how many of us make it out. All of that is now up to us. The Floors are cold. Wherever you are right now, get up. Stop the work. Get out of yourselves. Take charge and start climbing. Once again, the thematic use of climb. They don't have enough guards and they know it. And he looks at Cassian and repeats what Cassian told them at the beginning of the episode. If we wait until they figure that out, it'll be too late. We will never have a better chance than this. And I would rather die trying to take them down than giving them what they want. There is one way out. Right now, the building is ours. You need to run, climb, kill. You need to help each other. Keep moving until we put this place behind us.
6: And we get a nice shot of the guards hiding.
5: Yep, cowering in fear. Everybody's chanting, one way out. Then they get to the landing bay and start jumping off into the water. Cassian looks back at Kino, who is terrified
6: because he can't swim. And I won't lie to you, Maze. I got emotional in that moment. It's
5: a... Really, really brutal moment, and Kino, Andy Circus gives it all to you. Just with the look on his face, Cassian gets knocked off before he can even process help or even figure out what's going on. Then we get that shot of the prisoner swimming away from the prison in the water.
6: 16-minute scene. It's probably the longest continuous scene in this show that we've had. I sat back and I was like, wow, you know, I'm emotionally moved, and I'm thinking to myself, what a great scene. And then we get this scene that comes right after it. And this is the part where they're literally just high-stepping to the end zone, far and away better than any other show, anything that Star Wars has made in the last six years.
5: Lonnie's skulking around, a dark underbelly of Coruscant. He's not wearing his normal outfit. He gets in an elevator. He finds a hidden earpiece. Luthen says, if this is a trap, press the buttons for 215. (laughs) Haha, very funny. And then in an incredible, friendly-sounding, overt threat, he says, congratulations on the birth of your daughter. Luthan
6: is a bad motherfucker.
5: He's a menace. Lonnie says it's not fair that Luthan's watching him. You ever think about how it feels from my side? And he says, I think about you constantly, which is the opposite of the famous Don Draper meme. I mean, I don't think about you at all, which of course also took place in an elevator. But this is really ironic of Lonnie to say because his day job is to spy on people. And his secret
6: job is to spy on people. (laughs) So he feels spied upon. You know when they say teams that press don't like to get pressed? Yeah, it's the exact same thing going on here for Lonnie. Lonnie starts spilling the beans about all types of shit. Tells him about Deidra. Says she's focused on the suspect. She's calling access. Aldani, Ferrex, everything. Krieger and the Krieger pilot and how they know Spellhouse and it's a trap and da da da. And Luthen is like, all right, wait, don't don't you want to don't you want to save them? We should do something. And Luthen's like. Nah.
5: First of all, he hits Lonnie with the Cobra formula, <laughs> tells Lonnie to encourage Deadwood's behavior. Why is this good? Because she's wasting time. And then he denies any involvement in Aldani, says they got lucky, we don't build on luck, and he's creating another character here. The person that he is to Lonnie is very different from the person that he is to Bix, Yes. for example, or the person that he is You know, when we see that great moment of him putting on the wig and putting on the smile to go back to being the shopkeeper, he's a master of creating all these other characters.
6: He's different from who he is to Cassian, and he's different from who he is to Mon Mothma. But the important thing is, I had to explain this to my kids, is like, wait, why is he going to sell Krieger out? I said, because if they save Krieger... Then the Empire will know... There's
5: a source. There's a mole. The
6: only way anyone could have known enough to tip him off to not do what he's doing was if someone snitched. That would be counterproductive. And so 50 people are going to die... And Luthan is okay with that because it's a small sacrifice to save millions.
5: In the big picture, and also just having Lonnie tapped in is more important. Well, then Lonnie
6: tells us that he wants
5: out. There's the moment where the elevator door opens and Luthan is (laughs) looking so badass. Yeah.
6: His cape is blowing in the wind. Yeah. He looks evil. Yeah. I mean, I was like, he's about to kill this motherfucker right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me why you're really here today, Lonnie. And Lonnie reveals it's too much stress. He didn't think it was going to be like this. He's a father now. I want to live a quiet life. And things like, yeah, that ain't going to happen.
5: What was your plan? Gather a big basket of goodies for me as a farewell gift? Even as you say the words, you know it's impossible. Can't let you go. Can't spare you. Been grooming you for too long. He tells Lonnie he's trapped. There's no pleasure in saying it, but he's going nowhere. And then we're clipping this whole speech.
6: What do you sacrifice?
5: This is an amazing monologue about sacrifice.
3: My sacrifice means nothing to you, does it?
7: I said I think of you constantly, and I do. Your investment in the rebellion is epic. A double life, every day a performance, the the stress of that. We need heroes, Lonnie, and here you are. And what do you sacrifice? Calm. Kindness, kinship. Love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my my eagerness to fight, has set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I look down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice?
1: Everything.
5: You'll stay with me, Lolly.
7: I need all the heroes I can get.
5: So there's a couple of things that stood out besides just the obvious meaning of it to Luthen. He's made his mind a sunless place, which is the opposite of Marva. Yes. Marva was talking about how her inner mind is the only safe place. Then, echoing the theme of the episode, one way out. There's only one conclusion to this path that he's on. There's no escape other than finishing it. And when he mentioned the sunrise that he'll never see, it reminded me, I know it's not a sunrise, it's an explosion, but of Cassian and Jin on the beach when Scarif is getting blown up. That's the sunrise that he's describing.
6: Right. Because he knows he's going to die. The chances of him seeing this thing true to the end are extremely slim. It, it kind of puts it all into perspective, including what he just did with Krieger, which is, what do I sacrifice? Everything. 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 I don't have a life. And this is what I mean about
5: Mon. Yeah. Mon is not willing to sacrifice everything. And Sagarera isn't willing to sacrifice his strong-willed single-mindedness. Right. It was a breathtaking speech. Ass off. Stellan Skarsgård is incredible. <laughs>
6: Bravo. And again, for this to come on the heels of what I thought surely could not be topped makes it even more impressive. Of a scene, and by the way, the actor who plays Lonnie kills it too, man. This mousy little dude, scared for his life. By the way, do you know that before George Lucas sold Lucasfilm, the last thing he was developing was an Underworld of Coruscant show? It's gonna be all about all the shit that happens on these levels here, with the corruption and everything below the surface. Of Coruscant
5: Yeah there's so much That was the, the thing is He's in this elevator For a long time There's hundreds of floors What is
6: this? <laughs> we do need a show To flush that out Because it's so endless This is where the shit Goes down in Coruscant This is where the crime bosses And and all that stuff happens The stuff that the Empire Just doesn't care about Let it be beneath the surface
5: And as Luthen is talking about Needing all the heroes He can get We see Cassian and Melshi Running barefoot on the sand Well,
6: only two left, I mean. They could have ended it here. That's the cool thing. We're going to get two bonus episodes. Because they could have ended it here. In fact, Jason Madison hit me. I was like, wow, what a season finale. Uh -uh -uh. Uh-uh-uh. I'm like, oh, we got two more episodes. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. You know, a lot of times, seasons either drag. You're like, all right, just get to the end. Looking at you, Atlanta. Or they do the opposite. Rush and cram. Like, oh, man, so many things that are resolved too quickly they've actually done it so that as of 10 episodes i'm done man i'm good this is perfect whatever you give me now is just gravy for season two again well done well done well done so Maze, you have you have an announcement (laughs) you want to make about this show it's an appraisal that you shared with me before we started recording
5: yeah this is gotta be in consideration for show of the year not just best Star Wars show, not just best Star Wars thing since the original trilogy, not just Star Wars galaxy exclusive. This is up there. This has been a crazy year for television because there's been so many shows that backed up. It created a real bottleneck, but other than the final season of better call Saul, I don't know anything that's definitively ahead of this show. It's, A masterclass.
6: I was listening to a podcast about Andor in general and what people love about it, but yet it seems to be, from an exposure standpoint, below Book of Boba Fett, below Obi-Wan. The podcast was talking about Star Wars is a weird balance of adventure storytelling and nostalgia. You know, obviously the original trilogy didn't have a lot of nostalgia from Star Wars itself, but it had George Lucas's nostalgia his nostalgia for Westerns, his nostalgia for samurai movies, his nostalgia for serials of Flash Gordon and stuff like that. And all of that made appearances, even though they weren't overt to many of the film watchers. But then as you move on and more and more stuff is made, it's about nostalgia to that original trilogy, but also retaining that sense of adventure in the storytelling. What Andor does is, it's light on nostalgia, but it's heavy on, like, that storytelling that we've come to love from Star Wars. And for that reason, I think for me, for you, and for anyone who gives this thing a chance, despite not knowing Star Wars, you're getting a great TV show. Because it's not bartering on, oh, well, you got to know that this guy actually was this badass bounty hunter. and dah, dah, dah. Oh, yeah, that guy there. Yeah, Everything is natural and gradual, and even if you are supposed to know someone, they take their time to explain and flesh out who that person is. Again, it's easier because we're dealing with characters that weren't fleshed out a whole hell of a lot to begin with, like Mon Mothma, like Cassian. So even the nostalgic points that we're supposed to identify with, they're massaged in for us in a way that is acceptable. I'm with you, man. I was not thinking about it in those terms. I've been thinking about it strictly in Star Wars terms. But as I think about the year in television and the shows that I've enjoyed, this is a great show. And it's not because it's Star Wars. It's a great show because it's a great show.
5: It's also the most interesting new product within IP. Huh. We've got the Rings of Power. We've got House of the Dragon, which Uh were nearly all at the same time. And I think it's way more interesting than both of those in a standalone way. Yes. If you're already bought in to Star Wars or Game of Thrones, you'll probably enjoy these new products no matter what. But this is the most interesting and creative story told in an existing world. And I really hope, as we were talking about earlier, that it inspires some more confidence to take
6: swings at stuff like this. Going back to the conversation we started with, that's what gives me optimism about the Acolyte because I feel like it is in a free enough space that we won't be chained by nostalgia. We won't be chained like, remember so-and-so, oh my God, he's back. Like we don't, we won't have that. We'll be able to get real storytelling that is powerful and moving and gives characters that have definition and have motivations that are understandable and make sense. The other thing, by the way, The difference between Andor and some of the other shows, even the Mandalorian, which we all love, right? It's because those shows are made for broad appeal. I think Mandalorian inadvertently fell upon that, even though it follows in all of Star Wars, right? Like Freddie Prince used to tell me this. You're just mad because when you fell in love with Star Wars, you were a kid. And that's the shit you love. And now you're a grown-up. You're like, what is this kid shit when the new stuff comes out? But like the stuff that you Fell in love with it as a kid, you don't question it. So, for instance, Ewoks. I'm like, yeah, Ewoks, awesome. This little planet of critters. Except for adults, they were like, what is this stupid kid shit? These little teddy bears running around. But when the prequels come out, I'm like, what is this Jar Jar Binks, the Gungans, and all all this stuff? Seem dumb. But for I'm sure someone like you, Maze, is like, oh shit, this is amazing.
5: Oh, huge Jar Jar Binks, stand over here. Absolutely, not enough Jar Jar in the prequel.
6: So. The Mandalorian was like this weird thing where it's like, yeah, it's Favreau and Filoni. And Favreau's a big Star Wars fan and he loves Mandalore and and that whole culture and stuff and wants to dig deep into that storytelling whatever. But also, here's this baby Yoda because the kids will love it. Which I don't think he meant it to be that way, but obviously when the show took off the way it did with non-Star Wars fans, the light bulb goes off. So yeah, we're gonna have colorful assholes in Book of Boba Fett. And yeah, we're gonna have Little Leia plodding along as grown men can't catch her. Because now they're building on a formula. They're not doing what I believe to be genuine storytelling.
5: You said it all, I mean, and there's only one way out of this
6: podcast. What? To use the tools of my enemy. (laughs) I'm condemned to use them.
0: Gambling problem? Call
2: 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. cdkng.com/ dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... I'm not doing that annoying voices thing this week. Like, oh, blah, 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 blah. not doing that. So, you got to so, come so out of we, the interview. So just having done it. You got to come out yeah. of the interview a different way. I'm not doing it. He's not doing it. So, the, but then so should I from not now do now, it we then gonna, because
1: We're going to throw a celebration when Andor is over. <laughs> like when the witch died in the, uh, Wizard of Oz, <laughs> all of us from the ship container, we're going to throw a celebration. <laughs> Salute to Anthony Mays and Dr.
3: Mino. I love you. <laughs> That'll do it for that episode of Mr. Craig. You should check out all
0: the podcasts, the Elevatar and Friends podcast network. That is such a funny celebration that Juju just <laughs> painted for when that ends. <laughs> it's a Greg Cody-esque
3: description right there. Billy Gill, what what's on your podcast this week? Stupati, ah. God bless football.
4: So we have John O'Hurley talking about the dog show and uh, pet CBD that he has, that his face is on, <laughs> and other things. Like he also has this artificial intelligence <laughs> you, company. Yeah.
3: You printed out the prep sheet for that, and I just started dying laughing
4: when I saw the picture of John O'Hurley's dog CBD MD or whatever. I had, to include the, uh, I had to include the picture. It was too good. And then we talked to Marcus Freeman on God Bless Football. He came back, even though there may or may not be a curse. And Antonio Carver comes on. And I'll just tell you what he's doing. He challenges Jake Paul to a boxing match. So check that
3: out if you want on
4: God Bless Football.
3: Wow. So uh, so big big test for the God Bless Football curse, both for Marcus Freeman and Dabes. Because uh, the New York Giants have not played oh, since yeah. uh, Brian Dable appeared on God Bless Football. So big but weekend for the Giants. they haven't lost
4: either. So
3: Yeah. Well, and and the, the the Giants are home with the Texans, so if they if they lose to the Texans, then we might have a problem with the God Bless Football Curse. Uh, Chris Cody, what's on Cinephile this week? Just a bunch of good shit. There you go. I I saw him nice. pull up the episode on his Apple Podcast app. So that I always panic and, and reference what he did
0: on Cinephile this week, and I guess I didn't give him enough time. I mean, no, you did. There's a bunch of good stuff, man. Just check it out. Shoot. Juju. Yes. Mina Kimes is on with Greg Cody, right?
4: Huh? Yeah. Mina Kimes was on with Greg Cody. Mina Kimes was on with
0: Greg Cody. This week, Jimmy Johnson. Last last week was Mina. This week's Jimmy Johnson. A lot of good stuff on the Greg Cody show. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything to plug?
1: Speaking of ding dong, which is our dad, uh, we have uh, regretfully to inform the people that the, the Sunday football uh, coverage post game show is over with. Yeah. So we don't have that this week. Mm. But we do have a Montgomery and company. Uh, Jamel Hill, more. Jamel Hill, the wonderful, the illustrious. You know what I mean? And so she got a new book coming out. Let's go buy a copy. And All I right. got some music that came out, but if you're not a gangster, yes. you don't have to listen to it. Oh, that's right. New poor. Juju
3: Gotti music. Check it out on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, wherever you get music.
1: But not with your children. They're words, and mm. I'm sorry. If you can hear me, I'm sorry.
3: Thank you, Juju. Be sure to check out uh Golik and Smetty with Jessica Smetana. We got DNF this weekend, the Brazilian Grand Prix this weekend. J- Spencer Hall, Jessica Smetana will be covering it. Uh, Roy Montgomery Company is uh, the plug was covered there. Also check out because of Miami on the Dan Lebatard Show, MMA Hangout in New York all weekend. Follow that at, at Lebatard Show and on the Lebatard and Friends YouTube channel. Yes, Billy. How do you say Brazilian Grand Prix in, uh, in Portuguese? Mm. Mm. I, I mean, I I actually don't know how to say anything in uh in in Portuguese, but I just do a mm. comedy accent. So B- Brazilian Grand Prix. Mm. Yeah, that's about it. It's really it's We're a. We're getting ch- there. There's a lot of choose sounds. Portugal. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm Okay. Surp- I'm surprised you went you you went to me with
4: that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're a linguist, so I yeah. thought that. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah that. he's... I mean, I'm Grand is a,
3: is a French thing. So, I, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if that's what they call them over there. Well, they, GP, oh, Ab- A word Good for look, it. Brazilian GP. <laughs> get him, get him. Yeah, go over yeah, there.
4: Stugatz. On- hey, Stugatz. Stu. <laughs> 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 honestly,
3: Juju ju- ju doing man, like everyone in New York City is doing a man on the street show. I would actually love to see Juju ju do a man on the street show. Can you guys do that oh, while yeah. you're
1: there? Most definitely. So it is
3: written, sadly be done. <laughs> Wait, no, we, Roy. Roy is not with us to do the uh, to do the ending of the show. Billy,
0: in promoting things, Chris, you're going to to Canada. Oh, that's yeah. right. What? I am going to Canada. That content's coming out next week. Roy and I are going to be at the NHL Hall of Fame ceremony. Roberto, 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 Luongo. Roberto Luongo is getting inducted. <laughs> we got a bunch of fun stuff. We're talking to the guy who keeps the cup. Buff. I don't know what we're doing there, man, but I am going to have a lot of fun in Toronto. I'll tell you that much. Good content coming next week. Mm. Hmm. Oh, yeah. How'd I do? Good. Okay, go back. Anyone? Uh, any... Oh, Juju did it. Damn it.
3: Okay. Goodbye.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Friends, a lot has changed over the years personally and across our airwaves. But one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. You know, for me personally, I recently bought a few six-packs of Miller Lite for my housewarming party, because that's one thing that's changed for me. I moved into a new house, and I brought some friends over, and we enjoyed the best light beer. Because Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer.